We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van River here with Tim Heaney. It is Friday, heading into week 12 of the fantasy football season. Of course, we did not have an episode on the holiday, uh, so we're going to cram in mini-game previews with the usual injury information, recap the Thursday games. We'll talk about some players we like on DraftKings uh, for this weekend as well. Uh, Tim, how's it going today? How was your Thanksgiving? Hey, I'm going well, Derek. Everything's going okay. Um... Thanksgiving was nice and quiet, you know, didn't overeat too much, uh, had just good enough champagne that, you know, it was a good mood for everybody involved and at the table. And I think that obviously the Cowboys winning uh, for me being a Cowboys fan was the highlight. And that always makes any Thanksgiving good. And it, it's funny because, you know, the stress of, you know, seeing family on Thanksgiving really doesn't always come close to watching the Cowboys while you're just done eating a big meal. It just seems like it's a little, little more uh, impactful of your day than anything else. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's cool. Your team plays every year on Thanksgiving. It's kind of fun to mm. have that to look forward to uh, in the middle of the day like that. But three games yesterday. We'll start with the Lions-Vikings. Lions winning on a game 
game-winning field goal for Matt Prater as time expired. Uh, Prater kind of carried the Lions' offense yesterday, pounding in three field goals on a day where the Minnesota defense, after allowing an opening drive TD, kind of uh, clamped down a bit on the Lions' offense and uh, caused that uh, that offense to stall out on several occasions. But you know, the Lions were, were good enough defensively to get the job done. Sam Bradford, without Stephon Diggs, really didn't take many shots downfield at all. That was the recurring theme on Twitter uh, throughout Thursday morning was, hey, are the Vikings ever going to throw the ball past the first down markers? And the answer to that was largely no. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, North Turner's the guy who always liked to do that, and obviously the change in offense might be really affecting them. And But Sam Bradford, obviously, you know, we, we saw the limitations yesterday. Both quarterbacks actually really didn't challenge much downfield at all. Uh, I saw this, a stat from Pro Football Focus yesterday in a tweet that they sent out. Uh, Bradford's average attempt uh, – traveled just 3.5 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, which was tied for the lowest average target depth in a 2016 game. I was going to say, that would have to be even low for him, but that makes sense, yeah, if it was, it was that low compared to all games. Uh, a lot of that is Diggs not being out there. and They don't have a lot of receivers that you want to have stretching the field. Uh, Cordero Patterson getting more involved, but at the same time not running a lot of downfield routes. It's more, how can we get the ball in his hands near the line of scrimmage in order to let him maybe make a guy miss and then make a big play that way. With Diggs, it's a knee injury. We talked to Jeff Stotts on the XM show today, and uh, he didn't really have a lot of details yet as far as what exactly the problem is. We'll see where Diggs is at heading into uh, Week 13. Anquan Bolden scored early in this one. He was a good play on DraftKings. I had him in my uh, Turkey Day lineup, and the reason behind that was just that he seems like the kind of guy that when the Lions get in close right now, his target volume goes up a little bit. He gets that separation. He's not a burner, but he's so physical. He can kind of ward off opposing corners and, and get just enough space to be dangerous, even at his advanced age. Now, he still is a good rep when it comes to possession receiving, and obviously the Lions not you know doing much with Matthew Stafford's 40 attempts, only going for 232 yards. That's that's a game tailor made for Bolden to just have a lot of dominance, you know, over the middle and you know in the seams, that sort of thing. So yeah, obviously Bolden did lead them with seven catches. That that it, like you said, it was a really a tailor made game to really feature him. And uh, you know Marvin Jones did, didn't do as much, and Golden Tate had a little bit more. But yeah, Bolden's a guy that Stafford trusted just to move the chains a little bit more. I thought we'd see Theoretic carry the ball a little more than he did, if only because he averaged five yards a carry. He looks. Pretty good as a runner, better than I would have expected uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, Tate wasn't really, uh, or sorry, Riddick wasn't that involved as a pass catcher in this game. Five catches for 13 yards, didn't do much with the opportunities he had. Uh, I think there was one screen late in this game that was sniffed out uh, by Eric Kendricks. And, and yep. you know, the Vikings defense is a good defense, even though uh, this is a team that has to rely very heavily on the defense right now. They're still playing very well. Uh, Dwayne Washington only had five carries for the Lions. On the Minnesota side, one other thought that uh, kind of crossed my mind is that Jarek McKinnon, I, I, I'm the apologist. Like I'm the guy that keeps thinking he's going to be good. He's not going to be good because the offensive line is bad. Like There were times where he was getting hit two, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like As he was getting the handoff from Bradford, he'd take a step or two steps, and a defender would already be making contact in the backfield. And I wonder if long-term, if what's happening behind that offensive line will actually lead the Vikings to look elsewhere for their long-term replacement to Adrian Peterson at running back. Because McKinnon, to me, is still the kind of player who belongs in the NFL, maybe not as a lead back, but at least in today's timeshare NFL, there seems to be a role for him somewhere if Minnesota decides he's not a good fit there. 
Yeah, no, you nailed it. I mean, he's a good back in space, but he hasn't been getting much of that. And he's not the guy in the interior to really kind of command stuff between the tackles. Matt Asiata, as you know, as bland of, as a runner as he is, at least he does hit the holes up the middle a little bit quicker. And I, I agree with you. McKinnon does, you know, he looked like he really didn't do much carrying the ball just because he really didn't have the, doesn't have the mechanics right, I don't even think, plus the offensive line issues there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Peterson's success is on roster right now either. Doesn't seem like it, at least based on what's happening right now. Unless the Vikings are looking through the fact that their offensive line continues to just get ravaged by injuries. They lost another lineman yesterday, too. We'll see if that ends up being a multi-week injury. I didn't see any follow-ups on that, but things just keep getting worse as far as the, the health of those blockers go. And Vikings now 6-5, and five, Lions at 7-4, and four, currently in the driver's seat in the NFC North. And given the form of the Packers especially, you have to wonder if the Lions are the legitimate favorite to come away with an NFC North title. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the defense, you know, do a little bit better work recently. Uh, you know, obviously facing Jacksonville last week, the Minnesota this week, that's a good matchup to face in those cornerbacks. Uh, two games coming off the bye. They've looked crisp, though. Uh, and they get the Saints, you know, next week. Uh, very interesting. Traveling to New Orleans, obviously. Always a tough spot for any team, but that defense, obviously one that someone like Matthew Stafford, who's erratic enough, but has the experience, obviously, can take advantage of something like that. But I have to make sure I've got some shares of Theo Riddick on DraftKings for uh, Week 13 with that matchup against the Saints on tap. Uh, let's talk about your Cowboys, 31-26 winners over the Redskins. And uh, Kirk Cousins went off in this game, 449 yards, three TDs. I mean, if you're a Dallas fan, and you are, Tim, like with Cousins going for 449, not getting sacked in this game, not throwing a pick, if there's any real Achilles heel for the Cowboys, it's that they are a team that can be scored upon with relative ease. The good news is they're the kind of team that can put points on the board at will themselves. So I just wonder if you get to the postseason and you're playing a tight game you know, against the Seattle, maybe an Arizona type. I, I think Dallas and Seattle end up playing the NFC Championship game the way things are, mm. are going down yeah. right now. All it takes is one mistake. And Dak hasn't been making a lot of mistakes, but I don't know. Like I, this, this pinball style, I mean, they've won 10 in a row. It's hard to argue against it because they've got a great offensive line. Zeke looks like, if not the best back in the league, a top three back right now. They've got a top five, top six receiver in Dez. Dak's not making mistakes. He can make plays with his legs. Like They have all the ingredients necessary to be a very good team in January, but do you have confidence in that defense being able to get a stop when they have to against a quality playoff team. Yeah, I mean, Dallas got lucky on a few plays uh, yesterday in the, in the in, you know da- downfield. I guess they you know had some di- misconnections with Deshaun Jackson. Obviously, one late in the game really did hook up there. It all comes down to the secondary, and it has for this defense for so long. Uh, it's it's one of those ones where the pass rush for Dallas actually works from the secondary kind of inward to the defensive line. I guess because there's not a lot of talent along you know the the, the line with a lot of pass rush. Losing Morris Claiborne and Barry Church for the secondary has been really eye-opening to see what they can give up in terms of big plays. And obviously Washington does have a good pass game. I think finally not going to be underrated anymore after what Kirk Cousins has done recently. But yeah, I mean, teams that can throw the ball deep really well, I don't. I think that's going to be where Dallas uh, really um, is going to have a challenge for them if Church and Claiborne don't come back to form at this point. You know, Brandon Carr has actually been pretty solid. Uh, Orlando Scandrick's better off, I think, to match up with the slot receivers than he is with the outside guys. Um, so it really does depend on if they can get those guys back and kind of, you know, ward off the deep ball a lot. Um, because you know, that, that type of thing can really get to them. And, you know, they're not a team that always is used to playing behind either. 
So we got to see how Dak does with more experience with that. If, say, Seattle does get a good jump on something like that, and they have a defense that can actually kind of suffocate him late with a really good pass rush. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a scenario where Dallas somehow goes down two scores in the first half of a game, can they rally back when teams know Dak's going to drop back and throw it a lot? I think that's maybe the, the only lingering question. A very good team at the bare minimum, but one that you look at still with a, a little bit of maybe more of a skeptical eye than you typically would look at a team that's, 10-1 and one and riding a 10-game winning streak. Uh, Washington, of course, moving the ball through the air as well as they did yesterday. Had a bunch of productive uh, performers in the passing game. Deshaun Jackson, 4 for 118 and a score on 8 targets. Jordan Reed, 10 for 95 and 2 TDs on 12 targets. But he, does, he has suffered a pretty significant shoulder injury. Uh, we're finding out today Jordan Reed has a grade 3 AC joint separation in his shoulder. He came back and played with that. Currently day-to-day, wearing a sling as of Friday, hoping he can play in Week 13 against Arizona. So we'll see where he's at around this time next week. But even though he finished the game yesterday, you may need to make sure you've got a backup option ready to go for next week if you're a Jordan Reed owner. Uh, Rob Kelly coming off a massive game against the Packers, only had 37 yards on 14 carries. I think the jury is still out on him skills-wise. Volume-wise, he's still the guy in Washington, but uh, I may have overrated him slightly coming off that impressive performance against the Packers uh, on Sunday night. Steelers 28, Colts 7, no Andrew Luck. And look, I, I'm, a, I'm a Wisconsin guy. Scott Tolzien's a Wisconsin guy, and I, I want to see players like that play well. The offensive line for the Colts, which has been a problem as long as I can remember, for the, for the entire Andrew Luck era at least, it was very clear yesterday that they are well below average. And I think what it did, that performance made me realize how good Andrew Luck is. That he gets anything done at all behind the Colts' offensive line says a lot about just how good he really is. No, Luck keeps, Luck keeps plays alive. He's definitely top tier among quarterbacks in that category. And I agree with you. Tolzien did look like he had no shot to complete passes, but... Even so, he got some really good throws off under pressure, and I think actually there were a couple of big drops in that game. Uh, Hilton had a couple, uh, Moncrief had at least one, and Philip Dorsett dropped dropped one in the end zone, I believe, or at least had a better shot than you know it looked like on on a ball in the end zone. I think Tolzien probably should have ended up with a better line than he did, even though he didn't push the ball downfield as much. Um, I think that you know receivers kind of let him down a little bit yesterday, and maybe Pat McAfee probably had the most time of any any throw the Colts made uh, on that day. Yeah, the weird thing about the McAfee fake, too, though, is that as, as that ball was snapped for the punt, I just said, oh, this is a fake, and started rolling to his right. I was like, yep, there it is. And it's just, I don't know how the Steelers didn't think that was possibly coming. You know, a team, yeah. team going down 14-0 early isn't just going to give the ball away near midfield and punt it back. You know, there's no reason to. If you can't stop Pittsburgh offense, why, why not? Why not go for the fake punt in that scenario? It just seemed like an easy call. I'm glad Chuck Pagano did it, but I'm really surprised Pittsburgh wasn't sitting on that possibility. Uh, Antonio Brown, three TDs, five catches, 91 yards, only five catches. But Ben Roethlisberger only had to throw it 20 times. He's 14 to 20, 221. It's over 11 yards per attempt. All three TDs going to Brown. Brown getting 91 yards and really just hogging the production. Uh, One thing that flipped, though, Ladarius Green, two for 67 on three targets. Jesse James, nowhere to be found. So things appear to have uh, maybe shifted the way we thought they would be going into the year with Ladarius Green healthy again. 
just just another week back, you know, off off the pup list and all that, and getting his strength back. You know, sometimes it takes these guys a couple of weeks. And Green, obviously in space, very dangerous. Uh, really good moves for a tight end. Uh, definitely a guy that you should be picking up if, say, you have Jordan Reed, as you mentioned before. That's a guy probably got to be number one or number two on your list at this point. Probably available widely as well. Yeah, he definitely could be, and I think it's worth adding. Ladarius Green, where available. Uh, Le'Veon Bell played well in this one as well. 23 carries, 120 yards. He had a rushing score, four catches for 22 yards. So if you uh, stacked up Bell and Brown and then scattered in with, with uh, cheap players elsewhere, you did well on, on DraftKings on Thursday. Uh, injury info from around the league to get to. Tom Brady is probably okay, but the only thing that would give me some pause is that it's a late afternoon game, and <laughs> the Patriots are the Patriots. You know, like even though it seems like getting back on the practice field Friday, he was able to do I think pretty much everything he needed to do. He drops the "we'll see" when asked if he's good to go for Sunday. I think that might be just more verbal games that New England loves to play with everybody. The media loves it and hates it at the same time. So, I mean, I, I have Tom Brady in a two quarterback league, so I was kind of looking to see if Jimmy Garoppolo might be available. Uh, especially because, you know, we talked about before, it's a late game against the Jets, so it's something to be a little bit cautious about. Maybe Trevor Simeon against the Chiefs. Uh, maybe that's that's one thing you can look forward to in the Sunday night game if you really had to get desperate and pick him up or stash him. Carson Wentz probably not going to be available at this point because he's been propped up as a great matchup play against the Packers. Uh, so, you know, might have to start looking for a little bit of caution if you're a Brady guy just because it's a late game. Prob- I agree with you. I think he probably will play, but definitely just something to just, you know, keep in your back pocket. Now, as far as Rob Gronkowski goes, uh, Jeff Howe of the Boston Herald reporting that uh, he's heard Gronk is feeling pretty good, but at the same time, he has not been cleared, at least not publicly, to return. And against the Jets, I don't think the Patriots need to risk putting Gronk out there. Martellus Bennett was back on the practice field Friday, so, I mean, why, why not? Like, why not just lean on Bennett and give Gronk one more week of rest? So I am... Even though the Patriots have not said anything, I am not really expecting anything from Gronk this week. I've got him in four leagues, Tim, and I've got a backup plan at the ready. And with three games already in the books, I think you have to make that call even before you get the official word on Gronk. I mean, assuming assuming we don't get something on Saturday to the effect of, oh, he didn't travel with the team, so he's definitely not going to play. I still think you want to err on the side of caution. If you have a decent option in the early games, go ahead and use that option instead of Gronk. I agree with you, and I gotta wonder if, like the the Boston Herald, the Boston Globe, they actually have a position in the sports department, like you know, following Patriots to airport intern or something like that. Probably that's a big deal. Yeah, or, or maybe they just like have a good, uh, I don't know, good source on the inside, and maybe the driver, the bus driver that brings them to the airport or something, gets back to them, gives them a head count. He's like, yeah, no Gronk today. I mean, you would mm. know as a bus driver if Gronk is not on the bus, you would you'd notice. <laughs> Immediately, because the energy on the bus has to be completely different with Gronk on it as opposed to when he's not. I want to ride on that bus before every game. That must be awesome. Yeah, Gronk, <laughs> Gronk on the team bus probably keeps things uh, very interesting. So it looks like Martellus Bennett is going to go, and I'm guessing the ownership rate will be much lower uh, than it was last week when he had the chalky matchup against San Francisco. This is another good matchup, though, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. be hesitant to throw Bennett out there, assuming he gets the all-clear come Sunday. The Bills are very banged up right now. LaShawn McCoy had thumb injury had thumb surgery earlier in the week for the injury he suffered on Sunday. Sounds like he's going to play. Mike Gillisley has already been ruled out with a hamstring injury, so I think that's what makes you pretty confident that McCoy has to play. The injury is to the tip of his thumb. 
as opposed to the base of his thumb, which makes the injury a bit less problematic. So keep that in mind if you're a shady McCoy owner. With Watkins, do you have to be pretty desperate to throw him out there if he's active against the Jags on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, at best, he gives you third wide receiver numbers. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can work with very minimal target space because he is a you know big time player. But you know, what physical shape is he in that he can get that extra drive of play there? Uh, yeah, obviously the Jaguars great matchup for just about anybody. You know, even if you're only eighty percent or whatever. But yeah, it, it depends on who you really have because it's obviously it's a full week of schedule. You know, if you're really, really hurting for a receiver, I guess you do it. But I think you'd have to have at least three options better than him most of the time. Uh, definitely got to be uh, a really, really bad situation for you to consider playing him. Looking around the league at some other injuries, uh, Travis Benjamin practiced fully all week. He's officially questionable to play uh, against the Texans. Apparently looked good in practice earlier in the week. That he didn't have any full days off bodes pretty well. Uh, didn't play in Week 10. Chargers were off in Week 11. They have an early kickoff against the Texans, so we'll know 90 minutes before the games began. He's pretty cheap on the daily sites this week because the production started to wane uh, even before the injury popped up, and I think Travis Benjamin always has some GPP appeal anyway. Uh, Michael Floyd did not practice on Friday. He'll be a game-time decision Sunday against the Falcons, and he's got a hamstring injury, Tim, but if Floyd sits, I think it makes guys like John Brown and J.J. Nelson much more viable and what I believe is the projected highest scoring game on Sunday, over 50 points expected between the Cardinals and Falcons. You take one of those secondary receivers behind Fitz out of the equation and suddenly both Brown and Nelson become more appealing. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, this is one of the more convoluted uh, wide receiver cores. Uh, Besides Fitzgerald, I guess, each week. Behind him, it's usually a mess uh, for target distribution. So, yeah, I'm with you. It definitely... You, you can assume three Cardinals wide receivers can have a good production each week, but in, in some fashion. And obviously four always complicated things with Nelson Brown being kind of alternated with, you know, Brown's health issues with the sickle cell and, you know, Floyd kind of being in and out there, um, you know, based on, I guess, the, the scheme or, or the, the, the matchup or player or whatever. So, yeah, having one option eliminated from that, you know, that mess kind of always makes things a little bit more optimistic for all three of those guys. Sounds like Tevin Coleman will be fine for this week. He was fully practicing as of Wednesday this week, coming off a hamstring injury. Uh, the question I have with Coleman, though, is do we really expect him to get more than eight carries? Because he didn't eclipse eight carries in any of his last four games before he got hurt. And so far this season, Tim, Devontae Freeman has been the more efficient back, averaging 4.6 yards per carry to Coleman's 4.0. Yeah, I think, you know, the games you really have to use Coleman are the ones that are just where they have the good matchups on the linebackers. Like, you know, we saw a couple times this year, he's kind of going off in games like that. But, the you know, the Cardinals mostly play, you know, a light front there and they have pretty good uh, pass coverage among their linebackers, especially, you know, f- former defensive back uh, Buchanan. So that's a case where I don't think Coleman's going to match up just as well against them. I think it's going to be a little bit rougher time for him. And if Freeman's going to be, you know, the guy carrying most of the ball most of the time, then he's the one you go with this week. So, yeah, I think this is a Coleman, you know, flex only for Coleman if you really need someone like that. But, you know, I think Arizona's defense can can hang with him pretty well. Yeah, I'm not optimistic about Coleman this week in particular. No Jeremy Macklin again for the Chiefs, so look for a lot of Tyreek Hill in the game plan uh, against the Broncos. Todd Gurley didn't practice on Friday due to an illness that's been going around the team Rams head coach Jeff Fisher said he expects Gurley to be fine for Sunday, but again, just keep an eye on that one as kickoff gets closer. With that game being in New Orleans, I believe it's a part of the early block on Sunday afternoon. Uh, 
any other injuries that have really caught your eye over the course of this week? I mean, Lamar Miller's kind of dinged up, but I'm not really stressing that too much. A lot of players are going to pop up on the injury report this time of year, and unless they're missing practice on Friday, I generally don't worry too much about it. Yeah, no, the Friday practice in whatever fashion obviously makes it a uh... – you know, kind of reveals everything. I mean, the Eagles running backs you're going to have to look out for, too. I'm not sure if those have come in yet, but obviously Ryan Matthews uh, and Darren Sproles. Uh, I'm not sure about the Sproles in, in, uh, injury there, but, you know, that's a case where maybe a Wendell Smallwood might get a bigger role. That's a guy that I've picked up in a couple of leagues already. Uh, you know, maybe get, just get like, you know, about 15, 20 touch type of game if one of them is hurt. If both of them are hurt, you know, that's that, that might be just a major back duty right there. So that, those are the two I'm watching. I'm not sure if they've come in yet. I'm kind of looking right now for that. Yeah, Sproles fully practiced. Ryan okay. Matthews didn't practice at all on Friday. So I mm. would imagine that Ryan Matthews won't go. But at the same time, it's a Monday game, so the Saturday practice will ultimately determine the availability of those players. I like Smaltwood as well from a volume standpoint. But I do wonder how much Darren Sproles picks up in the likely absence of Ryan Matthews. I mean, mm. we've seen Sproles kind of surge up in targets at various points, and maybe he gets a few more carries or at least a few more opportunities to catch the ball around the line of scrimmage against a struggling Green Bay defense. Yeah, I think we saw Sproles have 15 and 13 carries in weeks 8 and 9, so they've already shown that. I don't know if they trust him to be the guy that, that carries the workload, but at least he's at least proven to them that he could do it in a pinch. So, yeah, maybe maybe Smallwood's – I mean, obviously Smallwood probably would be more of the change up back either way with this offense. Let's take a quick look at each game. Normally, uh, Nick and I on – Thursdays go through game by game. We'll kind of have a condensed version of the game previews. Uh, we'll start with the, oh, I don't know. Let's start with the Cardinals and Falcons. Battle of the Birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Falcons favored by five over under, as I mentioned earlier. 50.5 makes it the highest total on the board for uh, this Sunday. I feel like that number is a little high. Like I don't, I don't trust Carson Palmer. David Johnson's fine. He'll, he'll, do, he'll put up big numbers. I guess if you believe in that over under, it's because David Johnson is a beast and Atlanta won't have a way of stopping him. But the only little thing I'm tracking is the health of Floyd because with Floyd down, I think John Brown and maybe to a greater extent even J.J. Nelson become actual DFS GPP options and season-long desperation plays at wide receiver this week. Yeah, I, I also wanted to see what the Desmond Trufant injury status was for the Falcons as well because you know for, for as good as he is, I mean, if he's not there, it's usually, you know, almost free pickings on that, that Falcon secondary. They've been one of the better matchups for fantasy in the passing game this year. So you do want to get a point of that. And I think Nelson, obviously Nelson's probably the best deep threat of all these guys. So that's the one you would go through if you really want the big payoff there. Keep wondering too, if the Falcons will get Taylor Gabriel more involved because of the mm-hmm. big payoff of when they do connect with him downfield. Uh, but I look at that game. I think the Falcons can cover the five. I think the over under might be a tick high. Maybe it finishes at 47, 48, not way off, but slightly off in my opinion. Uh, Titans and Bears, also part of this early slate, mostly early games. We've got eight early games, three late afternoon games, so not a bad split, kind of a typical split, I guess. Uh, the Titans, though, are they at the point when they go on the road, do you still trust them? I mean, they, they've been uh, okay, two and three on the road so far. The Bears, of course, are just a, a bad team overall at two and eight. Matt Barkley getting a start with Jay Hurt, Hoyer Hurt. So it seems like it's an easy sort of layup matchup for Tennessee. Do you see anything that could go wrong for Mariota and company this week? Uh, I mean, that 
I think the, I don't think the Bears defense. We've talked about this on the show. The Bears defense, I don't think, has been as bad. I just think that, as, as the stats say they have, and I think it's that they're just on the field too long. And that's the thing. Tennessee can really sustain drives well with that running game, and that's I, I think that's kind of getting me to the fact that no, I really don't see much that Tennessee can really uh, go wrong with them, just because that offensive line's been so good, and Mariota obviously so good at you know controlling the ground game and being a threat to make defenses play honestly to all that. So yeah, I, I really can't see the Titans losing, winning this, um, by, you know, I, I don't even know the line is that game. I'm trying to pull them up, but I five I, and a I, half. Yeah. Um, all right. That's on the borderline of any game like that. I think I would probably still, I probably take the points of Tennessee there as well. Uh, just because I, I, do, I do think that the bears aren't going to have much resistance, uh, when it comes to coming back on offense from anything. I think for the Titans too, it's, it's sort of a must win. I mean, they're at five and six right now. If they want to go to the playoffs this year, losing at Chicago to fall to five and seven, they have to win out to go nine and seven, and nine wins might not be enough for a wild card. So I think mm-hmm. they, they come up with a big performance, their backs against the wall this week. Uh, Bills, Jags, Bills favored by seven and a half, over under 45. I, even if Sammy Watkins plays, and Shady McCoy is mostly healthy, coming off the, the thumb surgery earlier in the week. I have a really hard time expecting the Bills to blow out anybody. And I know seven, you know, seven and a half is not a blowout, but they're a team that I, I kind of like as better than people give them credit for, but not one that I expect to win by comfortable margins. I'm with you. Uh, I, I think that's a little too high on that sense. I think that it'll, it'll, it'll probably be a high-scoring game, but I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than that just because I think that um, the Jaguars do have some guys on defense that can give them a little bit of trouble, uh, and the, the protection for Taylor hasn't really been amazing this year. So, yeah, it's one of those games where you, you, you don't think that – it's one of those trap type of games where people are going to bet Buffalo hard in DFS or in Vegas. I just don't think it's going to play out that way either. Yeah, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, 61% uh, of the of the picks with the spread are on Buffalo, looking at covers.com for that. It's um, too high. I, I don't I don't see it. I think I think it's the Jags getting the seven and a half. They're the better side. Uh, Bengals on the road taking on the Ravens. Heavier workload this week for Jeremy Hill. But the Ravens at home, they're tough. They're a well-coached team, good defense, no A.J. Green for Cincinnati. Ravens favored by four. I think I'd give up the four points. I think the Ravens are just that much better than Cincinnati right now. And Cincinnati's been a team I've been wrong about for most of the year. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Uh, Dalton without Green, very much. And, and even, obviously, Giovanni Bernard, obviously very different uh, player and a different scope of this offense. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy Hill is going to be, I think, a good DFS play. You know, he's pretty low price, I think, because of the, the injury came out after the price of Bernard. But, uh, yeah, I'm going with Baltimore as well on this one. Looking at the Giants and Browns, Giants only favored by seven at Cleveland. Uh, maybe it's it's the road factor working there. I mean, it's 71% of the picks are on the Giants right now. But can you really take Cleveland? Giant, the Giants' defense looks like it's playing a lot better. Like Olivier Vernon, among other things, seems to have trended in the right direction. Landon Collins playing really well for the Giants, too. I think I'd give up the seven with the Giants, even though that's what the, the masses have been doing. I, I want to be contrarian as well, but I think I have to agree with you. Uh, you know, the Giants do hang around a lot with weak opponents. I mean, we saw the Bears kind of, you know, go with them uh, last week, you know, for a little bit longer than most of us expected. But, I don't know, the Browns' defense to me just doesn't have as much resistance as, as even the Bears would. I mean, I'm not scared of Joe Hayden anymore from anybody, especially a guy like Beckham or even Sterling Shepard going up against him. I don't think the Browns have that much to, to hold them back. I, you know, and Rashard Jennings has been better this week, so the Giants will control the clock a little bit more, especially against them. 
yeah, I, I think you hate to go with the with the crowd on everything, but I think this case it's one where I would as well. The Browns are two and nine against the spread this year, so you know, at least they've got a couple wins that way. If you break them down uh, against the spread, let's take a look at the Rams and Saints. Uh, basically, the Rams are just taking the over under for a home Saints game down a little bit. That's their contribution to the slate this week. Saints favored by seven. Over unders at forty five and a half. Ugh, I mean, here's the thing. It's Fisher's law, right? Like, this seems like a time where the, the Rams would lose by 20 because that's what the Rams should do. But if that's what they should do, they'll probably find a way to actually either keep this really close or pull off a big upset because it would pull them back to five and six. We can go back from Jeff Fisher getting fired at the end of the year to maybe Jeff Fisher gets an extension. That's just how it goes. There's, there's, there's like... It, it's like the needle can only go to one or two things. It, it's it's I, it's a two slice meter. I don't, I don't know what those things are called. Where you just like no. it's like the good egg, bad egg, the educator from Willy Wonka, where it's extension or fire, and those are the two choices. It's on fire right now, but I'll take the Rams plus the seven because I don't trust the Saints defense. Todd Gurley, assuming he's not dealing with the flu or whatever, just knocked him out of practice on Friday. Should should be able to run all over. The New Orleans defense. I'll, I, I'm not going to call the upset, but I think the Rams will at least hang around in this game. I'm with you. Uh, if Gurley plays, I'm with you for sure. Uh, I would change that to the other. I would go to the, the you know the bad egg side if if there's no Gurley in this one. As much as Benny Cunningham, you know, will be fun to play him in a DFS thing with that. Yeah, I, I, I obviously if golf plays a controlled conservative game, which kind of seems like his mo right now, because they actually finally just let him start starting at this point. They're going to keep the reins tight on him. I would think. No, they, they might try to keep it to like a 20 to 13 type of game uh, if, with Gurley controlling the clock there. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. You, I think you, you go with the Rams, in, in, you know, you know, uh, getting the points there as well. And if you want a, a stupid play for the millionaire maker, Tavon Austin has just been horrible. <laughs> but come on, like they got to find a way to get him involved more. Target volume was up earlier in the year. Even if he's not worth half of what they're paying him right now, He's still more explosive than most of the alternatives they have. Who better to give up big plays than the Saints? So could have uh, some GPP interest in Tavon Austin this week. Uh, Chargers on the road taking on the Texans. Chargers are favored in this game, and the public seems to be split 50-50 as to which side they're on. I think San Diego's the better team, even though the records right now are flipped. I know uh, they're only 1-4 and four on the road this season. Texans are unbeaten at home. I think that changes this week, Tim. Yeah, um, I mean, pre-Joey Bosa, I would definitely pick against San Diego if it was a decent passing game. Like, maybe it's a game where Brock Osweiler could actually take off and do something. But this team is a very different defense with him as a pass rush, that, which has been so much better. And I don't trust Brock Osweiler against at least average to really good pass rushes like San Diego's suddenly getting. So, yeah, I think Rivers takes advantage of a J.J. Wattless Texans defense and uh, and does some work on them. I'm with you on the Chargers there. Yeah, first home loss coming of the season for the Texans. Uh, Niners on the road taking on the Dolphins. They're getting seven and a half on the road. They're just not that good. The, the only question is, is Miami good enough to beat a bad team by more than seven? I, I think so. <laughs> uh, Ryan Tannehill obviously is one of the more frustrating quarterbacks in, in the league at this point. Uh, they have the talent to do it. I think Devontae Parker challenges that secondary really well throughout this game. He's gonna. This might be his like real breakout game of the season. Uh, you know, Ajayi against that Niners front, obviously, you know, historically bad, as we've seen so far. 
I think that's just enough for Miami to, to do it uh, at this point. Uh, so seven and a half. It's going to be really close to that, but I would go with I would go with the Miami talent here. I think. Yeah, I very very begrudgingly think I'm picking Miami, but I don't hate Carlos Hyde this week. Miami's run defense is actually a bit of a weakness. I think San Francisco yep. keeps it close enough where Hyde gets 20 touches with that. 80 yards and a TD seems like a pretty safe floor with the potential for quite a bit more than that. Uh, Seattle on the road at Tampa Bay. Seahawks rounding into form. They're giving up six at Tampa. Tampa Bay has killed me all season. Seattle is red hot. I think I'm giving up the six and just taking the Seahawks. Yeah, it's a very complete team they have going right now. Obviously, you know, Tampa Bay doing the upset at, uh, with Kansas City uh, last weekend. But, yeah, this with Russell Wilson the way he's playing right now, and, you know, even without C.J. Procise, so a good combination of the backfield with Thomas Rawls, uh, that's, um, yeah, that, that's Seattle for me as well. I just like that Rawls is catching more passes this year. He's already got nine receptions in the three games that he's <laughs> played, too. I think that bodes well for his chances of maybe being a low-end RB1 in the absence of Procise. A good late afternoon game between the Panthers and the Raiders over-under, and this one's 49.5. Raiders favored by three at home. Teams that Vegas thinks are are even on a neutral field, which says a lot about how they feel about Carolina. Carolina at four and six. The Raiders at eight and two. I think I'm taking the Raiders giving up the three. Absolutely. I agree. Um, the, the offensive line, defensive line battles, I think both are in favor in Oakland. This one, I think Cam is not going to have a lot of time to do much against that pass rush. And obviously the Raiders offensive line has been one of the biggest, you know, improved uh, units of any team this year. I think Derek Carr goes off, maybe, you know, split between split between Murray and whoever else they decide to get involved with the running backs there. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think Oakland at home in this one for sure. I'll go, with, I'll go with their points. We talked about the Patriots and Jets, the injuries on the Patriots side earlier, assuming Brady plays, even if Gronk doesn't. Patriots are giving up seven and a half against the Jets. I think I'm taking the Patriots. It's the it's a chalky thing to do, but I just don't see a lot of reason to be optimistic about the Jets. Ryan Fitzpatrick making the start again. I mean, what's the path for the Jets to keep this close? Like Legarrette Blunt rare fumbles. <laughs> you know, it's definitely something against the grain of, of of probability for sure. Yeah, I, it's New England for me as well. Chiefs uh, on the road at Denver. That's a Sunday night game. Over-unders down at 39.5. Broncos favored by 3.5. Chiefs coming off a really disappointing performance last week. Home against the Bucks. Probably all the more reason to expect them to play well in this game. But I'm going to take Denver giving up the 3.5. Uh, yeah, I... I, I... I think I have to agree with you there as well. Uh, as much as you want to think that the Chiefs, you know, will get to Trevor Simeon a lot, I think that, you know, is, is Marcus Peters playing, by the way? Haven't checked on that. I have not that, seen that's a, an official word on that. It's kind of a big deal, though, as far as the value yeah. of Demarius Thomas. And, I mean, I, I don't think you'd see a lot of Emmanuel Sanders. But mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Maybe he practiced on Wednesday. So okay, limited Thursday. I would assume he's going to give it a go with uh, that level of participation. Yeah, I, th- I think it's Denver for me as well, just because I think the Chiefs have been weak on the run. Even with Justin Houston back, it really didn't do much for them last week to, ha- to have him back. And Simeon, for, for all the flaws he has, at least he can play a safe game if he had to. And Denver can you know do a little bit more with his wide receivers than they have been. So, yeah, I'll take Denver as well here. All right, let's move on to the Monday night game, even though I don't want to because <laughs> it's been a disappointing year. Eagles hosting the Packers. Eagles favored by four. How's this one going down? Yeah, I, I think that's about right. Um, 
you know, the Eagles obviously don't, don't have much in the terms of uh, pass catcher depth, but it's a good Jordan Matthews game. I think a good Zach Ertz game. Carson Wentz, this is probably his rebound game. We, you know, you want to think that the Packers may give him a little bit more trouble up front, and he's had trouble against those guys. But, you know, the, the depth of the Packers secondary is, unfortunately, you're well aware, is just really easy to take advantage of. And, yeah, the, the, the Eagles, I think, will do, do enough on defense to contain Green Bay and keep Aaron Rodgers from really challenging deep again. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting the Philly points in this one. I'm going to go ahead and take the Packers getting the four. Maybe they lose close, but their season hangs in the balance this week. And I know Jim Schwartz, that wide nine defense can be uh, pretty effective. They had a good pass rush, but the Packers offensive line is actually pretty good. I don't know if Carson Wentz is built to be in a shootout with Aaron Rodgers just yet. So I'll, I'll take the Packers. I think everybody's a little bit too low on them right now. They're not as good as we wanted them to be coming into the season. I'll readily admit that. But I'm still not sure what to make of Philadelphia, and I think they the Packers will show up in a spot where they they have to. If they they can fall to four and seven, it's over. I mean their their season it's done. They're not going to make the playoffs and win five straight if they lose on Monday night. Yeah, I, I, there's a, there's a certain factor of desperation where it does come to that that skilled guys, but I I don't know. I I'm not really trusting that offense at all right now, and. The fact that the the Eagles have had a couple of you know good secondary plays and you know in recent weeks and I, I just I believe that's the speed of that defense can keep up with the Green Bay in my opinion. Let's take a look now at some players we like on DraftKings for this weekend. I started to make my spreadsheet and kind of using the same uh, same stuff I was doing last week, where I went through uh, actually took the implied, implied totals, uh, put the salaries in, just kind of adjusted for everything. And, of course, it pointed me to Ryan Tannehill as the best value at quarterback, which I honestly, I really don't want to do that. But it might be for a $3 GPP, maybe, just maybe, a Ryan Tannehill lineup is worth making. Yeah, he was he was actually my top GPP selection this weekend because of that. Uh, you know, if they can if they can get some passes out of the backfield, obviously as well. And obviously, I mentioned before Devontae Parker and Landry, if, if, he, if he's able to go, it's a uh, you know it's a good combination. I think enough to take advantage of San Francisco. I'm yeah. with you. I mean, it's just again mathematically, it's where we're supposed to be. Tyrod Taylor's not far behind as far as values go. I just I'm not sold on the pass catchers, even if Watkins is back, because I'm still worried about Watkins not playing a full complement of snaps. Yeah, I mean, no Robert Woods, it looks like, also. And, you know, it's going to be one of those games where Marquise Goodwin maybe pops off a deep one, uh, but that's obviously nothing you can count on with, with much certainty. So, yeah, definitely the Bills' lack of depth there doesn't excite me about Taylor either. Yeah, that's, it, it's the ongoing problem. He's, he's on the radar in GPPs. I just don't feel great about it. I think the player I like the most in cash and in GPPs, Russell Wilson, 6,700. Seahawks expected to put up 25.5 points. They're six-point favorites against a very porous Tampa Bay secondary. And Wilson just looks healthy. I mean, for the first time in weeks, these last two games, he finally looks like himself again. Yeah, he's my number one DFS quarterback this week for the cash. And uh, that he's $1,100 cheaper than Tom Brady is just magnificent for that opportunity. That's just goofy to me (laughs) that he's that much cheaper. Cam at at $6,800 is also a good value. Uh, so you got two options within $100 of each other who I feel like are capable of winning a tournament for you. I mean, you can pair them up with cheap pass catchers in, in either scenario. Uh, Doug Baldwin continues to be cheap. Uh, the, the other player that I think is sort of interesting, I wonder what the ownership rate's going to be. It's Carson Palmer. 5300 is the price. Really low when you think about the Cardinals being in a game where 50.5 is that over-under. 22 
uh, 0.75 points implied. So maybe you get 23, 24 points out of the cards this week. The only thing that I, I keep looking at is Palmer is just not the same guy. And I think if they're going to put those points in the board, it's because of David Johnson. It's not because of Carson Palmer's arm. Absolutely. They, they would have to throw a lot on passing downs or something like that, like catch the, the defense off guard a little bit. Palmer against a good pass rush is just, he's just a statue right now. Uh, you know, he, he really can't extend plays much at all. And the, the Falcons pass rush actually has not been that bad. That's probably the, the most surprising part of this defense. The secondary has been vulnerable, but, you know, Vic Beasley is becoming a real force, I think. And that's, that's, that's going to be something that keeps Palmer's ceiling a little bit lower than most uh, say, I think. Yeah, the other, the other quarterback in the mix costs a thousand more than Palmer's Philip Rivers going up against mm-hmm. Houston. I think 6,300 is a very fair prize for Rivers. Agree. That, 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 he was one of my top five as well. Let's move over to the running back position. Uh, Jay Ajayi, is he going to be the most chalky running back <laughs> of the week going up against San Francisco? Yeah. Um, you know, another one of those ones is probably going to disappoint. He'll probably get like 90 yards on a touchdown, but not enough to be the third highest priced running back. Even though the difference between David Johnson and him, you know, another, another big one, 1300. So maybe relatively it's not a bad one, but I think it's another one of those where it's going to be like, okay, he really didn't take advantage of the matchup as much as we thought he would. Mark Ingram expected to play this week. Only 5,000 getting the Rams. The only concern I have is that we just don't know volume-wise if he's going to get 60%, 70% of the touches and how much Tim Hightower is actually going to be involved. Uh, I'm not that excited to, to to go with Hightower on this one, being you know what four thousand dollars more expensive than Ingram. I just don't want to touch that backfield if it's if it's a cash game, especially. If you want a GPP, try it, go for it. Well, maybe we'll know more as the game time comes along. There might be a report that says, "Oh, Ingram's full, good to go," but you know you have to wait on that and kind of make last minute changes there. I've heard a lot of buzz about Rashad Jennings this week. Fifty six hundred <laughs> is the price. The matchup is against Cleveland. Cleveland is the second most generous run defense in the league as far as fantasy points allowed to opposing running backs, but I don't fully trust Rashad Jennings, even though he's played well these last two games. At the price is actually pretty justifiable. Um, that, that's, the, that's, what's, that's what still has me a little bit excited about him. That, that Browns interior run defense is no real resistance, and that's, the, that's his style. He just kind of just goes up the middle, see what happens there, and obviously the Giants don't always block well enough for that, but I mean, it's a chalk I'm willing to go with. The price is not boosted enough where it's not, you know, it's something where he won't be able to meet expectations for sure. Who do you think will be more heavily owned, though? Jennings at 5,600 or Thomas Rawls at 5,700? I think I'd probably rather have Rawls, but I think Jennings will be the guy just because it's the Browns. And, you know, people are just going to, by default, go with the guy against the Browns. Yeah, I think I'd rather play Rawls, though. I think I just, I trust his carry volume a bit more. I mean, if the Giants get up big, mm-hmm. maybe we finally see more Paul Perkins. Right. But I mean, it depends on if you're stacking the other Seahawks quarterback or wide receiver. If you're not playing Wilson or you're not playing Baldwin or Graham, I think Rawls becomes a good place to fit in with that. But I think Jennings, if you want to fit in with other better pieces in that uh, passing game, I think he's a better, you know, he's the guy that you can just kind of slide in with with the diversity factor. Right in that same price range, you got Devontae Booker, 5,600 against the Chiefs, Lamar Miller, 5,800 against the Chargers, and Todd Gurley, 5,700 against the Saints. Again, assuming mm-hmm. Gurley plays. Uh, despite missing practice Friday with an illness, Gurley against the Saints at 5,700. If you told me back prior to week one that was going to be a thing at this point in the season, I would have thought you were crazy. At 5,700, absolutely. Uh, yeah, huge discount. Got to just see what his status is. Jeremy Hill at 3,900 seems to be the uh, maybe the high-owned, low-cost running back of the week. I think Carlos Hyde, though, at 4,800 is also going to be somewhat heavily owned, but I think in that case, it's a good chalk play to go after because, again, 
the Dolphins don't seem likely to blow anybody out. Like that, that just seems like a stretch to me. And we know Hyde's volume when healthy is pretty safe in Chip Kelly's offense. I think I'd rather have Hyde than Hill. You're right because I think Hill's going to be way too heavily owned for a GT, GPP. It's not going to get you. You know, it's not. It's not going to separate you from the pack at all. I don't think. And you know, the Ravens' uh, run defense obviously has been very good against me, you know mid-range teams. I don't consider the Bengals to be an amazing running team either. But you know, I, I get the GPP allure. I would rather have Hyde. I'm, I think I'm with you on this one. Get anybody else at running back that you've had your eye on this week? Um, I mean, Lamar Miller 5800 is actually not a bad one against the Chargers. That's kind of one where, um, you know, it looks like um, if, if they do want to keep it away from Philip Rivers, that, that's a good way to go. And I think B- Devontae Booker coming off a bye intrigues me a little bit against KC because, as I was saying before, that Chiefs run defense has been, you know, shockingly bad for you, when you consider how many good playmakers they have. So, yeah, I think Booker, you know, could be an interesting one to kind of throw off as a flex play where no one might choose him. And I wonder if Booker was just a little bit dinged up. Remember his first game that he started mm-hmm. a few weeks ago? Uh, he left with an injury and came back. I, I wonder how much of his lack of output since taking over the job can be attributed to playing at less than 100%. Oh, absolutely. It, uh, obviously, they, they kind of ran with him a little bit because Anderson was down and you know he was the guy that next up, maybe he said that he was fine when he wasn't, that type of thing. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good good front for him to match up with with, with you know against with that Broncos offensive line. They'll do, do just good enough for him at that price to to have, you know, 15 or so points if it's a, if it's a good game. It looks like a, a bit of a different week at wide receiver. I mean, Beckham's the most expensive at 8,800. Julio's 8,500. No A.J. Green. Good on to Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is the third most expensive receiver <laughs> at 7,700. Mike Evans gets a matchup with Richard Sherman and the Seahawks. Uh, Allen Robinson gets the Bills. Uh, what are you doing with receiver this week? Going a little cheaper or are you going to pay up for one of those top five options? I'm going a little cheaper, actually. I mean, obviously, the wide receiver talent on the Thursday games, you know, for the last the last two games especially, I, I think really kind of skewed the prices a little bit uh, for that sense of what was available today. And obviously, A.J. Green's injury, you know, deals a heavy blow to the top end there. Um, you know, if you really want to go cute and go Mike Evans against Seattle as, as a really, really good uh, contrarian play, I could see that because I think the volume tar- of targets will still be there. I'm a guy that's going to look at Brandon Cooks at 6,800 against the Rams, though, because that secondary is atrocious, and I think Cooks is the guy that's going to get the most uh, you know, bang for your buck with that one. Obviously, uh, to mention what you did before, I love Doug Baldwin, 6,400. Uh, even De- DeAndre Hopkins against the Chargers, though. I mean, I talked about before how Osweiler against the pass rush might not be good, but Hopkins has gotten a lot of mid-range work this week just to gotta, kind of get him more involved in 6,300, that's a guy that you know could pop off at some point, and that price is really alluring to me. Yeah, the players I, I keep going after, guys like Cooks and Baldwin, Cooks might even be just more of a cash play than a GPP play, but at home, I, I always like the, the ceiling he brings to the table. Uh, you mentioned Hopkins. Uh, I, I think he's a viable option at 6,300. Like Kelvin Benjamin and Julian Edelman, 67 and 6,800 respectively. It really seems like the players crowded around the high 6,000s are the receivers I'm most likely to build around at that position. And I think it opens up more flexibility elsewhere. I mean, you can spend a little more on one of your running backs if you go a little cheaper at wide receiver this week. You know, pivoting away from Odell Beckham and Julio Jones and just saving saving that extra cash to get a David Johnson into your lineup since it's going to cost quite a bit more. Or a Jai at 7,600 or DeMarco Murray. We didn't really talk much about him, but I think Murray's going to get his against the Bears at 7,700 this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allen Robinson... I mentioned him before. I just I don't I don't think he's worth seventy two hundred. I think he's like a sixty five hundred dollar player right now because of how much Bortles has struggled. But I do like the possibility of getting him at a lower ownership rate because of that price is being up, and I think that makes him more appealing in GPPs. I don't think I'd play him in cash, 
But I think in tournaments, having a share of Allen Robinson could pay off in a big way this week. That's, I think that's the thing where the, the skewed wide receiver prices might actually help him at this point because, like you said, people might be diving too much deeply into there, and maybe Robinson could be that guy that goes against the grain a little bit. So, yeah, I, I, I get your logic there. I don't know if I would do it because, you know, because obviously what he's shown and what Blake Bortles has shown, but, you know, this game is all about – DFS is all about getting ahead of trends and, you know, kind of taking advantage of price points that are there, and they might be gone, obviously, the next week. So, yeah, that's something to consider. I think Tyrell Williams is still a little bit underpriced. He's uh, 6000 this week i like that quite a bit i'm not usually a jarvis landry guy i know he's been slowed by a shoulder injury but if you wanted to fade jay ajay a little bit and still get exposure to the san francisco defense 5900 for jarvis landry can be a ppr machine when he's getting looks i think there's some gpp appeal there Tannehill, landry Devonte parker what do you think i, I really <laughs> I, I think you can consider it and and if and if Ajayi doesn't get you the two or three TDs that you're expecting, it goes to the receivers instead, you might come away really happy, and you're going to have a lot of extra money left to fill the other spots. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, Parker down at 4,700. I think that's, I would rather have him than Landry, you know, all things equal. Uh, but, you know, p- full, full point PPR, I want to see Landry get back on the field and, you know, have a good reports of him being okay. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Parker target volume's up these last two weeks. I think I agree. I think I'd rather go Parker than Landry if I had to choose just one, but I don't mind the idea of stacking both if you are going to be bold enough to play Ryan Tannehill. What do you make of Tyler Boyd this week at 4,000 going up against uh, Baltimore defense? I like it. Um, you know, LaFell obviously was the one that I, I believe he dominated the targets uh, last week. I just don't – I if he's more expensive than Boyd, I'd rather have Boyd just because, you know, they're, they're probably going to find more creative ways to get Boyd involved now that Green's gone. You know, we've seen him in the preseason have, I believe, that passing touchdown and some ends around and stuff like that. I think they're going to probably get a, try to get a little more creative with him. And it's a good spot, like a Tavon Austin type of thing. You can just get a lot of, you know, collect offensive yards in general and be maybe like a third, third wide receiver or a flex play, pop off 15 points in a full PPR. I think there's a lot of possibility for that. So four receivers I'm looking at under 4,000. Let me know which one you like the best <laughs> as your, your punt play. Alan Hearns, 3,900 against the Bills. Uh, let's say Tyler Lockett, 3,600 against the Bucks. And then let's throw Marquise Goodwin at 3,600 against the Jags into that mix. And Taylor Gabriel at 3,600 oh. against the Cardinals. Oof. Um, I think I'm going to go with... Uh, God, that's a tough one. I, I might go lock it, actually. Um, the target volume, not necessarily there uh, for that, but I think that Buccaneers defense is, is really, really atrocious, and I think Lockett can get a little bit more done this week. Uh, I, I, like I said, I think, I think the Goodwin one, obviously, is more of the, the pop-off volume. If he gets that one one deep catch, that could, that could lead to a lot more. Uh, I don't. Those guys aren't really all intriguing to me at all. I, I might rather save somewhere else and spend up on Sterling Shepard at 5,500 instead of going for Beckham, maybe, against that Browns defense because maybe they've been picking on the depths of secondaries with Shepard a lot recently, the Giants. So, uh, you know, that, 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 those low guys, I mean, very interesting to me. Like I said, lock it very, very uh, small margin over the Brian Quick might be in that, that bucket, too. You're like, <laughs> eh, Brian Quick against the Saints? Sure, <laughs> why, why not? Uh, let's move over to the tight end spot. You know, if Gronk doesn't go, He's the most expensive tight end, 6,900. You go down to Olsen as the next most expensive option. I like him at 58. I like Eifert at 56. I like Graham at 53. I like Walker at 49. And I like Bennett at 45. I think you can go pretty much any way with the top five after Gronk. It really depends on how the rest of your lineup comes together. Josh McCowan starting for the Browns. I don't mind Gary Barnage and GPPs at 3,600 either. So I think you've got a pretty nice array of options 
Antonio Gates is probably in there too. Look at his target volume over the last four games. 4,200 yeah. is not a bad price on Gates. Yeah, Gates and Barnes were the two guys I was really looking at because the Giants have been terrible against tight ends recently. They, they've actually started facing tight ends that are involved more. And Barnage hasn't been, but, you know, he, I believe he scored a touchdown last week and he's just starting to creep in a little bit more. And McCown with him intrigues me a lot more uh, at, at you know when he's a quarterback as well. If you want to go even dig deeper, C.J. Fyodorowicz, if he's healthy, uh, always, you know, interesting option against against those Chargers pass defense that we talked about. Do you want to go Will Ty? <laughs> I mean, mm. against against the against the Browns, he's actually kind of taking a little bit of a lead there. Um, the Browns obviously atrocious there. Uh, Clive Walford twenty five hundred against nah. the Panthers. No, I don't hate it. I don't hate it, yeah. but I don't think you need to go that cheap at tight end. I think the you don't. the way the matchups play out, the target volume should shift. I like those more expensive guys more than I usually do this week. So I think you can pay yeah. up a little at tight end and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, the top end, obviously, it's really, really affordable. I'm with you. It's, it's just funny. There's a lot of really good statistical matchups. If you really want to have a GPP with the Clive Walford in there, it's very interesting. I would, it's one of those, you know, it's your throwaway $20 lineup that we keep talking about type of thing. The old, the old throwaway $20 lineup. <laughs> I, I would probably just go buy two really nice bottles of beer and uh, sit back and watch the carnage on Sunday with those as opposed to throwing away a $20 bill. But you never know. And, and watch Clive Walford scoring a touchdown while you're drinking those two beers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, as far as defenses go, I, I've been kind of interested in the Ravens. I mean, Andy Dalton without A.J. Green, it's a pretty big step down. Ravens defense averaging nine fantasy points per game on DraftKings. Pretty affordable this week as well, priced down at 3100 Yeah, um, def- definitely not overly done, which is nice. It's kind of in the wheelhouse where they're priced just right. Type of deal. I like the Titans against the Bears at also at twenty eight hundred. Um, you know, part of me wants to pick the Saints hosting the Rams. Uh, you know, we talked about that sort of thing. Maybe the Rams against the Saints might actually be the better GPP play, just to kind of go against the grain there. Yeah, maybe you get a rare clunker from Breeze. Maybe uh, Ingram fumble recovery return for a TD. Who knows? But yeah. I think the thing that always leads me away from going up against the Saints, they don't really seem like they're that generous as far as allowing sacks, right? Like, you want an offensive line that whiffs yeah. on blocks, leaves their quarterback out to dry, and that really doesn't ever describe the Saints' offensive line. The Rams' pass rush should be better than it is, I think, too. They had that amazing defensive line. It just, it just seems that they do kind of get, you know, matched up with pretty well. And, and you're right, Breeze is obviously a quick-release type of guy. That's not a very good guy to match up against someone like that. But, you know, one of these games, the Rams seem like the defense that could just do it if they really start to dominate up front. It's definitely, you know, another throwaway type of defense there, the Rams. All right, so I've got uh, one last question for you. It's a recurring theme at the end of our Friday pods. Uh, what do you have planned in the refrigerator or as far as your uh, your beers for this weekend? Uh, this weekend, um very, very, you know, small chance that I might be drinking a lot this weekend, or at least, you know, maybe not drinking beer because, you know, another, going to another uh, party tomorrow, uh, meeting, you know, more of the girlfriend's family might be a, a Jack Daniels Tennessee Honey type of event, which oh. I'm not always opposed for because it's a nice, uh, nice little sip and drink there. Uh, beer, I think next week's the real big one for me with beer because it's my buddy's holiday party and one of my big beer snob friends over in, down in Hoboken. We're going to having a lot of Christmas style ones, the one I'll be bringing. Anchor Steam Christmas Ale from 2014, which is nice, you know, ageness to it. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to that one. So maybe I might just save my beer for next weekend at this point. What about you? Yeah, well, I, that's nice to get the 2014 Christmas Ale on mm-hmm. uh, on reserve. I, I haven't planned it out too much, but I'm trying to get uh, the Goose Island Bourbon County Stout came out today. Oh so, no way! So today wow. today is the day where you're going to start seeing it. It might be gone 
depending yeah. on <laughs> how, how much the places around you stock. Uh, I've got a place where I got a case of it last year, so I'm going to go back there and see if I can uh, get lucky again. It might not yeah. happen. I mean, it, it I, might. I, I may never find a case of that again <laughs> in my life. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So I'm going to try to get that. And then Central Waters, one of the, the breweries here in, in central Wisconsin, they make a bourbon stout. Theirs came out on Monday, and I haven't seen it in stores yet. I've seen photos of it, so it exists. And I'm going to go check some stores and see if I can track some of that down. So barrel-aged stuff will be the theme of the weekend, assuming I can find one or either of those options nearby. Yeah, I mean, I usually wait for, to get the next, the previous year's Bourbon County because that's you know that's, that's usually the I always miss the day it comes out like I just did this year apparently. So I'm always one to kind of play the the year after game with that. But the other one sounds like it'd be ready readily available. So yeah, I hope you enjoy that stuff. Yeah, the key I'm, I've still got probably eight or nine bottles in my case from last year's Bourbon County. So mm-hmm. they say you can age it up to five years. I'm trying to save a couple bottles for the entire five years to see how much better it really does get over time. The pantry is is well stocked already, and it's only going to get better uh, as this Christmas season approaches. You're right, though. The Christmas ales are, are kind of like overlooked sometimes, and mm-hmm. I've not had the Anchor Steam one, so I'll have to so good have to put so that on good. my list. Uh, the one the one that I had last year that I really liked, I want to say it was it was the Bell's Christmas Ale. I think that one was I mean, really good. I haven't had the Bells. Uh, the Sierra Nevada Celebration isn't that bad. Um, I don't know if you ever had that one. Um, another one I like is it's kind of like a blend between fall and winter. It's a harpoon winter warmer from Massachusetts. It's a you know it's a nice cinnamony, nutmeggy type of feel to it. It's you know it was one of my first real winter beers I liked. That's that's one you should definitely pick up if you can find it over there. I'll have to keep an eye out for it. And then the the other one I think I had last year for the first time was Lakefront in Milwaukee. They made a Christmas sale. It was pretty good as well. Definitely had that stronger almost black licorice sort of flavor going on. So if you don't like mm-hmm. that that flavoring, then you got to look out for some of the Christmas ales because I think that tends to pop up from time to time. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Good luck in Week 12. Nick and I are back with you on Monday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.